Welcome to Damn Good Movie Memories with your host, Ryan Davis. This podcast is the cure for your long commute and super boring work day. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America. Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, my name is Arthur Kirkland. And I am the defense counsel for the defendant. And to the public for which it stands. Look, if you're going to try to make a deal with me, you might wind up right back in jail. Well, if everyone agrees that I'm innocent, how come I'm going back to jail? One nation under God is invisible. It's the law. It's insane. Liberty and justice for all. And justice is, as any reasonable person would tell you, the finding of the truth. He goes to law school. Ah. I'm a lawyer. You are also a revolting, despicable scum of the earth. Ooh, he recommended you real highly. So you're not going to ask me, are you now or have you ever been a lawyer? That wasn't amusing, Mr. Kirkland. If you talk to me like that, you're not going to get me into bed, dear. Yes, sir, well. Judge, we're ready to reconvene. Be right there. This is a man who's making value decisions on people's lives. Wait a minute! He did not have to go to jail! It's nickel and dime, Arthur! It's all nickel and dime! Don't you care? Why? Don't you even care? This is their thing. They gear up for this kind of thing. Prosecution is not going to get that man today. You don't threaten the judge. I move for a mistrial. My man there. That man, if he's allowed to go free, then something really wrong is going on here. Mr. Kirkland, you are out of order. You're out of order. You're out of order. The whole trial is out of order. Gentlemen, need I remind you, you are in a court of law? Hold it! Hold it! I just completed my opening statement! Hey there, it's Brian Davis, and for this week's episode, we're going to cover the movie and Justice for All from 1979. The studio was Columbia Pictures. Release date was October 19, 1979, with a running time of 119 minutes. The rating was R, the budget was $4 million, and the box office took in $33 million, making it the 21st ranked movie of 1979. Rotten Tomatoes gives it 81% fresh from 27 reviews. Roger Ebert at the time gave it 3 out of 4 stars, and here's his review. Here's an angry comedy crossed with an expose and held together by one of those high-voltage Al Pacino performances that's so sure of itself, we hesitate to demure. Pacino plays an aggressive young Baltimore lawyer who has worked within the system for 12 years or so. He's not a reformer fresh out of law school, but who, during the course of this movie, is driven to advise the American system of jurisprudence to stick its head where the sun don't shine. Pacino's immediate inspiration is a judge named Fleming, played by John Forsythe, who rather unexpectedly becomes his client. Forsythe looks marvelously like a judge. He has the razor-cut gray hair and the tired, thoughtful eyes and the gentleman's vague sneer when addressing a lawyer in his courtroom. 
We get the impression that he saved himself a lot of time early in his time on the bench by resolving never to allow considerations of simple humanity to interfere with the handling of a case. That angers Pacino because Pacino has a client who has been in jail for months because of Forsyth. The client, as it happens, is innocent. Everyone seemed to agree on that point. But the client was in the wrong place at the wrong time and was filed away in a cell during a hiccup in the standard police procedure and cannot get out until Pacino and Forsythe can agree on several meaningless technicalities. They cannot agree. Forsythe seems to take in a quiet, sadistic pleasure in frustrating Pacino while his client goes through a crack-up in jail. Meanwhile, Pacino's life is complicated on other fronts. It is, in fact, complicated on too many other fronts, and Injustice for All has so many characters doing so many things to, with and against Pacino, that it's a triumph of filmmaking when all the stories end in the same movie. There is a girlfriend, a neurotic law partner, and another nutty client, and a stark raving mad senior judge, played by Jack Warden, who indulges in his suicidal impulses by eating his lunch on the fifth floor window ledge and seeing if his helicopter will fly without gasoline. These subplots are thrown into the story's way without much regard as to whether they're serious or subtle or broad and comic. The movie is a compromise involving various approaches to the material, but Pacino's performance forces a kind of logic on the events. We somewhat suspiciously accept the movie's swings of tone because Pacino remains consistent, and because he seems to remember what the basic issues are even when the movie detours into irrelevant episodes like the helicopter flight. Then things tighten up just in time, when the movie seems to become a series of sketches, and then Ebert kind of starts to give away things that I'm going to talk about. So I'll, I'll, I'll kind of wrap up his, his review here. Whether it works a little cynically is left to the audience to decide. And Justice for All has been so many things and struck so many tones by the ending that it, it's not a statement. It's an anthology. And maybe when Pacino's courtroom scene gathers force... We just forget the farce and soap opera and romantic comedy that went before and take the scene as self-contained. And that's the end of his review. Sometimes I do uh, cut out parts of the review because I get into the plot. So why, why let Ebert do it? I didn't see Injustice for All until I was in my 20s, well after seeing other great Al Pacino films. But when I finally did see this movie, I was just enthralled by the film, mostly because of the very reasons Ebert mentioned in his review. It was Al Pacino. Pacino in the 70s, was untouchable, and this was a terrific way for him to wrap up his decade. Not to mention, the final courtroom scene is sheer movie magic. Pacino even borrowed a little of that courtroom magic from this film and used it a decade later in Scent of a Woman. However, as good as Pacino is in Injustice for All, the supporting cast is equally as stellar, and we're going to discuss that now. All right, let's get into the main cast. So, of course, Al Pacino plays Arthur Kirkland. And at this point, Pacino, again, one of the biggest names in Hollywood. He was in The Godfather 1 and 2, Serpico, and Dog Day Afternoon. It takes some actors an entire career to appear in that many classic films. And Pacino did it within a span of three years in the 70s. Pacino is hands down one of the greatest film actors of all time. Jack Warden plays Judge Francis Rayford, and as I mentioned before, the supporting cast in this film is top-notch, and Warden is one of those character actors that is brilliant in every film that he appears in. He just steals the show in this film and in every scene he appears in. Warden had been acting since the 1950s, and a few of his most well-known roles up to this point were 12 Angry Men, Brian's Song, All the President's Men, Heaven Can Wait, and The Champ. And a new generation of filmgoers would remember him as Junior's grandfather, and the Problem Child movies. Alright, John Forsythe plays Judge Henry T. Fleming. Forsythe had been acting since the 1940s, appearing in film, but was mostly known for his TV work. 
He was the voice of Charlie in the original Charlie's Angels, and then famously Blake Carrington on Dynasty. There were three other really stellar supporting actors in this film. You have Lee Strasberg, who is best known for playing Hyman Roth in The Godfather Part Two, And then you get three actors making their film debuts, Jeffrey Tambor, Christian Lottie, and Craig T. Nelson. The director was Norman Jewison, and Jewison started his career as a TV director in the 1950s and eventually directing movies starting in the 1960s. He had a ton of successful films in the 60s and 70s, including The Thrill of It All with Doris Day and James Gardner, Send Me No Flowers with Doris Day and Rock Hudson, The Cincinnati Kid with Steve McQueen and Edward G. Robinson, and The Heat of the Night with Sidney Poitier, The Thomas Crown Affair with Steve McQueen and Faye Dunaway, Fiddler on the Roof, and Fist with Sylvester Stallone. The screenwriters were Valerie Curtin and Barry Levinson. So Curtin and Levinson were married from 1975 to 82. Curtin started as a writer on the Mary Tyler Moore show, and her big break was in Justice for All. She was also an actress and appeared in movies like All the President's Men, Silent Movie, and Silver Streak. Of course, Levinson would go on to be a very successful director, and he was notable for films like Diner, The Natural, Good Morning Vietnam, and Rain Man. All right, let's get into the movie. The film begins with uh, children reciting the Pledge of Allegiance three different times as we see a variety of shots of a courthouse and a courtroom. We see a woman get out of a police car and led into jail. It's actually a transgendered woman named Ralph Agree, played by Robert Christian, who was put in the same cell block as the men and told to strip in front of the prisoners to see if any weapons were concealed. And as you can imagine, the prisoners are less than kind to Ralph as he is fully dressed as a woman. Arthur Kirkland, which is Al Pacino, is a defense attorney in Baltimore and is also in jail for contempt of court after punching a judge. So while this is going on with Ralph, Arthur has his own problems as the guy next to him in the cell is basically nodding off and pisses himself as a stream passes near Arthur. Great times in the local lockup. Arthur is released soon after. Immediately after getting released, Arthur receives a phone call from one of his clients named Carl that has just been in a major car accident. Arthur goes to the scene of the accident and finds Carl with minor injuries, though his car is totaled. Carl wants Arthur to sue the person who caused the accident. And by the way, Carl happens to have a prostitute in the car with him, though it's never actually said, but it's pretty much implied. Their scene is actually funny as Carl is belligerent and basically wants the death penalty for the other driver and then says to Arthur, Jesus, you stink. Did someone piss on you? (laughs) Arthur shows up to court the next day and runs into his colleague, Jay Porter, played by the great Jeffrey Tambor, who tells him to shape up or he's going to get disbarred. The judge that Arthur punched is Henry T. Fleming, played by John Forsythe. Judge Fleming is a no-nonsense judge who's extremely hard on defendants, even those that appear before him with minor crimes. Arthur's first client of the day starts off with a bang as he is caught eating evidence while the prosecutor's back is turned. You do know. The big White House. You know, with the fat columns out in front on Greenway Avenue. Guess how much that house is worth on the market today. Oh, I don't know. Take a guess. Seven million. (laughs) $243,000. Now, that's some nut I've got, huh? That's okay. I get enough accident cases this year, I'll be all right. Maybe I ought to stop throwing up banana peels. Listen, recess is almost over, and uh, all I've got left is this illegal lottery case. Did you know that there's a guy eating something off your table? Huh? The guy you're prosecuting? Yeah. He's eating the lottery tickets. 
Holy shit. Gibson, get the hell away. Get out of the closet. Don't swallow. You son of a bitch. My client. Get it out. Get it out. Don't swallow. My client. Get it out. You want to sell some money? Yeah, but we're trying to get him off. Get it out. Get it out. You can't do that. Gentlemen, need I remind you, you are in a court of law? Now let's proceed in an orderly fashion. So from the last clip, the gunshot came from Judge Rayford, played by Jack Warden, who is a more fair judge than Fleming, but he's also a bit nuts. Again, as I said before, every movie's in, Jack Warden is fabulous and he steals the show. Arthur jokes after Judge Rayford asks if he has anything to say and that he probably needs a recess as his client is obviously very hungry. In a more serious matter, another of Arthur's clients named Jeff McCullough, played by Thomas Waits, is in jail for a crime he didn't commit. The judge presiding over the case is Fleming, the same judge that Arthur punched. Arthur has evidence proving that Jeff is innocent, but Arthur made a huge error and filed the evidence three days past the deadline set by Judge Fleming. Since Fleming is a hard-ass, he refused to take Arthur's appeal for Jeff. Jeff was falsely accused of murder because he had the same name as the real killer and fit a basic description, but wasn't actually involved in the crime and he spent over a year in jail for this. To make matters worse, Jeff's original lawyer was a public defender who didn't do his due diligence and let Jeff slip through the cracks. And then Jeff is also set up in jail by another prisoner after a guard is stabbed and now Jeff has additional charges that are false for stabbing a guard. The public defender tells Jeff to make a deal and plead guilty, and then he'll get off with time already served, six months. However, the deal was made with the Judge Callahan. Callahan isn't available when Jeff's plea goes to court, and guess who ends up being the judge? That's right, Fleming. Fleming doesn't know about the deal. Jeff pleads guilty and is sentenced to five years in prison. Arthur runs into Judge Fleming at the courthouse and apologizes for his actions and tries to get Fleming to put his personal issues aside and be reasonable with the case against Jeff. Fleming acts like a total prick and he says he doesn't give a shit about Arthur's clients and walks away. Arthur's grandfather, Sam, played by Lee Strasberg, is in a nursing home and is suffering from dementia or early Alzheimer's. Arthur tries to visit Sam once a week at the nursing home as his grandfather was the one who really raised Arthur and put him through law school and was a wonderful person to Arthur. It's sad and frustrating for Arthur as his grandfather's memory comes and goes. Arthur takes on a new client, Ralph, the transgendered woman who was in the same jail as Arthur. Arthur tells Ralph to be straight with him or with the truth or to get another lawyer. Ralph sort of comes clean and says that his cousin had an idea to kind of act like a couple because Ralph dresses like a woman and this would help him get a cab easier since cab drivers won't often stop for two black men. It's not really clear what Ralph and his cousin did, though it's, it's likely petty theft. Essentially, Ralph pleads with Arthur to help him as he won't be able to last long in a male prison dressing like a woman. Arthur also is being questioned by a legal ethics committee who are trying to weed out bad lawyers and then... To complicate things, ends up dating one of the women on the committee named Gail Packer, played by Christine Lottie. Both are divorced and have an interesting relationship as Arthur believes the committee is a waste of time, while Gail feels the committee keeps the system on the up and up. The next day, Arthur finds out that Judge Fleming has been arrested, but nobody knows what the charges are yet because everyone's being tight-lipped about it. 
That is until his buddies Jay and Warren give him some interesting news. Congratulations, Council. Oh, thank you very much. Mm -hmm. What did I do? Judge Fleming. Yeah. I was right. He was arrested this morning and booked. We know that. Well, but you'll never guess what for. Take a guess. What for? Rape. Fleming was booked on a rape. I can't stand this. At the best. Rape. That's not the best. It's not the best. Not the best. No, I'm give him the punchline. Tell you the punchline. You're gonna love this. His people just called the office, and Mr. Fleming would like you to represent him. Arthur meets with Judge Fleming and laughs when he's asked to represent him. The reason Fleming wants Arthur to defend him is all political, since the animosity between Arthur and Fleming is public knowledge. If, if Arthur defends Fleming in court, it will give the illusion to the public and potential jurors that Fleming must be innocent if someone that hates him is defending him. Arthur is indignant about this and tells Fleming he doesn't care if he's innocent and he should get another lawyer. Because a truly innocent person wouldn't need the smoke and mirrors to prove their innocence. That night, Jay shows up drunk and distraught. So what, are you, what are you doing here? I came to ask you a question. Yeah? What? I'm a good lawyer, right? Right. I got Earl Soames off, right? What are you talking about, Jay? I got Earl Soames. I got Earl Soames. Yeah, you got him off. No. No, I just didn't get him off. I got him off on murder. And we all know that Mr. Soames did it. Right, he did it, Jay. He was guilty. We all know that. Brilliant defense. Brilliant! Brilliant defense, Arthur! Brilliant. Brilliant! Right. Brilliant! Right. Brilliant! I got him off on a, on a technicality. I know, Jay. Right. Good. As it turns out, the guy that Jay got off on a technicality ended up killing again, this time two kids. From here, Jay just goes on a downward spiral, but kind of more on that later. To compete with the slow descent into madness, the next day Arthur goes on a helicopter ride with Judge Rayford, who has a death wish. Before the flight, as Ebert mentioned, Judge Rayford will often eat his lunches outside of the window ledge of the courthouse like he's wanting to jump. Rayford just scares the crap out of Arthur by flying low near the ocean, nearly crashing into bridges and seeing how far he can go before running out of fuel. Arthur, during this helicopter ride, is just out of his mind thinking they're going to crash. Judge Rayford, on the other hand, is as calm as can be. They eventually do crash into the water, but are both uninjured. So Judge Rayford actually convinces Arthur to take the Fleming case for a few reasons. One, it would be beneficial to Arthur's career. 
Two, if he doesn't take the case, Arthur could be disbarred by the ethics committee because he gave information to the police about one of his clients who told him fantasies about committing horrific crimes, which eventually did happen. So even though Arthur did the morally correct thing by getting the guy arrested, he ethically committed a crime by violating his client's right of information given to a lawyer, which must remain privileged and private. So Arthur meets with Fleming and is given Fleming's side of the charges filed against him. Judge, I want McCullough freed. Nothing can be done. Now, I don't buy that, Judge. Just reopen the case. That's all I'm asking. Reopen the case and give me a crack at a jury. I'll get him acquitted. Now, look, you are in no position to ask for anything. But I'll see what I can do to help. Perhaps there's an exception to the statute. Okay. Okay, so... Uh, why don't you tell me about the girl, then? This, uh, Leah Shepard. Can you tell me anything about her? What do you want to know? I saw her on a couple of occasions. She works over at City Hall. Did you have sex with her first date? Yes, I did. First and second time. That's why this whole thing makes no sense to me. Well, what do you think happened to her? I assure you that I did not rape her, but... I really don't know. Maybe some angry boyfriend showed up after I left. Angry boyfriend? It's a little mild, don't you think? I mean, she wasn't just raped. She was sadistically beaten and sodomized. That goes a little bit beyond an angry boyfriend. You're right. You're right. I'm sorry. I don't know how I get into this thing. I've been involved in the law for over 30 years, and I tell you, I can't find five people out there who are willing to believe that I am innocent. Not five of them. Will you take a lie detector test? Why? Polygraph is not admissible evidence. I know, I just, I, I would like you to do it for me. I'll think about it. No, 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 no. I said that I would think about it. <laughs> you can't do this. No, no. I need a polygraph to prepare your case. Now, if I'm going to be your lawyer, you can't If you're going to be my lawyer. Mr. Kirkland, you are my lawyer. I know. I'm your lawyer. I'm your lawyer. I know that. And as your lawyer, there are certain demands I'm going to have. As I've said to you before, you don't ask for anything. You don't demand anything. Now, sit down. I've got a lot of work to do. I said, sit down. Arthur meets with Jeff, who is badly bruised on his face after getting beat up for no reason in prison. Arthur tells Jeff that he can get out in three weeks and to hang in there and be safe in prison. But Jeff is just like a sitting duck and, and gets himself thrown into solitary just to avoid getting beat up constantly. And Jeff is just at his wit's end, and understandably so. All right, so it's now Thanksgiving. Arthur takes his grandfather and his grandfather's friend to a Thanksgiving dinner party with many of Arthur's lawyer friends. Jay shows up with his head completely shaved, and he seems to be having the early stages of a nervous breakdown because once his client got off, who later killed additional people, he just went nuts. All right, Arthur is later back in court defending Ralph on his armed robbery charge. Ralph is found guilty, but his sentencing is suspended for 15 days as Arthur argues that this is Ralph's first major offense and had no prior convictions and is currently employed. If Arthur can provide a favorable probation report in 15 days, Ralph will have his sentence withheld. If all goes well, Ralph will be released on probation. 
In the meantime, Jay is likely going to get called into the ethics committee, according to Gail, due to Jay's erratic behavior. So is Jay letting his hair grow back or is he keeping it shaved? Shaves it every day. Oh. Carries around a battery-operated razor, running it over his head all day long. Razors. Sounds pretty bad. Mm. He's not all right, is he? It's all right. You're right. You know, Arthur, the committee's considering calling him in. Don't look at me like that. His clients are complaining. He's postponing his court days. He shaved his head. He's got a problem, look, you look, know? Look, he's all right. He's all right. You know what this whole thing comes down to, don't you? What? Every day, defense lawyers are out there protecting guilty people and getting them off, and they're not affected by it. Right. Not supposed to affect them. Mm -hmm. Difference is that Jay was affected by it. You see? He was hurt by it. He was injured by it. I understand that. All right. But well, isn't it ironic that the one lawyer, the only lawyer who felt something should be brought up before your ethics Arthur, committee? Would you please stop trying to make yourself out to being the only sensitive person around here? I know. I know Jay was hurting. I know that. That's not the point. The point is he is not functioning properly well, because of it. He's all right. He just needs a little time, that's all. I've taken over most of his court cases. He's he's putting his emphasis on contracts now. Lay off him, okay? It's not up to me, Arthur. I'm just trying to let oh, you know what's you going know, on. I just love the way the hierarchy works. I mean, you're going after guys like Jay or whoever, and nobody is doing anything about Judge Rayford, who happens to be a suicidal maniac. Rayford? Rayford. The man is bent on killing himself. It's no secret. A court bailiff found him in his chambers trying to hang himself once. You know where he spends his lunch every day? No. Outside his window on the ledge, four stories high. Now, this is a man who's making value decisions on people's lives. Wait a minute. Day. Now, wait. His personal behavior is not affecting his work. He's an excellent... Oh, you know that. Yes, sure, I work right? with him. Uh, He's an excellent judge. And Jay's an excellent lawyer. I know he was an excellent lawyer. That's not the point. The point is his problems are affecting his ability to serve his clients, and that's why the committee wants to see him. So the last scene is why being involved with the law is so difficult and complicated. You can see both sides of their arguments and both are correct. Nothing is ever cut and dry with the law. Arthur is now investigating the rape case against Judge Fleming. The crime photos of the woman Fleming allegedly raped are rough and, he was, and she was badly beaten on her face and chest. Fleming actually passed the polygraph test and Arthur has a witness that would supposedly clear him. 
Arthur tells this information to the district attorney named Frank Bowers, played by Craig T. Nelson. Arthur believes Fleming is innocent. However, this is a dream case for the DA, because if he convicts a judge, it's a career maker. In the meantime, Judge Rayford is getting fed up with the people that come through his court. And then what happened, officer? I told him to move on, but he continued to use profanity, and he refused to leave the premises. What sort of profanity? You know, the, the normal kind. Officer Leary, we've all heard these words before. Now, for the record, what did he say? He used fuck a lot. Piss on you. And said he was going to bunghole the short order ship. Going to cream on waitress. Stuff like that, Your Honor. There's a very good reason for all that, Your Honor. No? What is that? I'm a diabetic. <laughs> I fail to see the connection. I have never heard of diabetes causing foul language. That's because you're a douchebag. <laughs> All right, make sure this man gets over to the hospital this afternoon for a psychiatric evaluation. I will withhold a verdict pending a medical report. Son of a bitch, day in, day out, the same goddamn thing. Most of these people belong in a mental home, for Christ's sakes. So this is where Ebert really is. There's a lot going on in this movie. Uh, it's easy to get kind of lost in, in the subterfuge and, and lose sight of the, of the main plot, but there is a lot of going on, just like a lawyer. If you have you know, five or six different cases or more going on at once, that is the life of a, of a defense lawyer. All right, back to the movie. Unfortunately for Jay, he is now gone completely berserk at the courthouse, and he's throwing dishes from the cafeteria up and down the hall. Judge Rayford, who has absolutely no fear, rushes Jay and subdues him. Jay has completely broken down, and he's taken to a mental hospital. Arthur actually goes with Jay to the hospital, but Arthur now needs to have his colleague Warren give the probation paperwork for Ralph at his arraignment later in the afternoon. Arthur has corrected the errors to the original report and informed Warren to make sure the judge sees the corrections. Warren is assured that he will take care of it. Of course, Warren gets distracted with another case and shows up late to Rouse sentencing. And the judge is less than pleased. Warren completely forgets to point out Arthur's changes to Rouse's probation report and Ralph is sentenced to three years in prison. After the sentencing, Warren then remembers Arthur's changes and tries to get them admitted by the judge, but is denied because he didn't follow the proper procedures in court. Warren totally screwed up, and now Ralph must go to jail for three years due to Warren's negligence. Arthur finds out what happens and is rightfully incensed with Warren. What are you, crazy?! Tell me about it, Aggie. Come on, Warren, tell me about it. He got by me. He got 
fire? It got fire. What? It got fire! Damn it! Fire! Hey! Now listen! Just stay away from the car! Aggie did not have to go to jail! Do you understand? He did not have to go to jail! Well, he gets out on probation in 10 months! Listen, that's not all my fault! You know I don't like those penny any bullshit cases. I was doing you a favor. Favor? What kind of favor? It's nickel and dime, Arthur. It's all nickel and dime. Don't you care, Warren? Don't you even care? If you care so much, why weren't you in the courtroom? You're goddamn right I care, but not about them. They're people, Warren. You know? They're people. They're just... If he's not in jail this week, he'll be in jail next week. Oh, God, God damn it, you know probation's at fault. Appeal it! Oh, I can't appeal it! He's dead! He's dead! Half hour after they put him in the lockup, he hanged himself. So even though he's incredibly distraught with Ralph's suicide, he still has the Judge Fleming case to deal with, and along with trying to get Jeff out of jail. Fleming is so arrogant and thinks he's got Arthur by the balls that he won't budge on helping Jeff get out of jail. Jeff finally cracks at being in prison for a crime he didn't commit, along with being beaten and raped on a daily basis. He ends up taking a guard's gun, and then he takes two hostages and barricades himself in the room. Arthur goes to the jail to calm Jeff down and to get him to turn himself in peacefully. However, the police snipers shoot Jeff when he gets up to kind of stretch his cramping legs. At this point, Arthur is now completely disgusted with everything involving law and justice. He's given some information about the Fleming case, which further questions his belief in the justice system. All right, the final 30 minutes of this film is riveting, and I can't tell you what happens. But I must say, for me not to play the final courtroom scene would be an injustice to the podcast. So I will give everyone who hasn't seen the film but wants to a warning. Skip the rest of the episode and watch the film. It's absolutely worth it. The film is a brilliant look on how the system protects some and screws others, sometimes by a small technicality. The acting, though, is top-notch, and while the film is tough to watch at times due to the themes, the performances make this a repeat viewer for me. Uh, Pacino, again, one of the greatest actors for a reason, and this is yet another example of his brilliance. All right, so I warned you, but I got to play the iconic courtroom scene with Pacino. Unfortunately, I don't have the beginning, but I do have the meaty parts, so enjoy. What is justice? What is the intention of justice? The intention of justice is to see that the guilty people are proven guilty and that the innocent are freed. Simple, isn't it? Only it's not that simple. However, it is the defense counselor's duty to protect the rights of the individual as it is the prosecution's duty to uphold and defend the laws of the state. Justice for all. Only we have a problem here. <laughs> 
You know what it is? Both sides want to win. We want to win. We want to win regardless of the truth. And we want to win regardless of justice. Regardless of who's guilty or innocent. Winning is everything. That man there wants a win so badly today. It means so much to him. He is so carried away with the prospect of winning, the idea that he forgot something that's absolutely essential to today's proceedings. He forgot his case. He forgot to bring it. I don't know. I don't see it. Do you? The prosecution's case. He's got to have one. Not a witness, not one piece of substantiating evidence other than the testimony of the victim herself. Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, I have a case to end all cases. I have witnesses for my client. I have character references, testimonials that are backed up from here to Washington, D.C. I got lie detector tests that have been checked. Objection! Objection to state. Sit down, Frank. Mr. Kirkland, you are out of order! The one thing that bothered me, the one thing that stayed in my mind and I couldn't get rid of it, that haunted me, was why. Why would she lie? What was her motive for lying? If my client is innocent, she's lying. Why? Was it blackmail? No. Was it jealousy? No. Yesterday, I found out why. She doesn't have a motive. You know why? Because she's not lying. And ladies and gentlemen of the jury, the prosecution is not going to get that man today. No. Because I'm going to get him. My client, the Honorable Henry T. Fleming, should go right to fucking jail! The son of a bitch is guilty! That man is guilty! man there! That man is a slime! He is a slime! If he's allowed to go free, then something really wrong is going on. Mr. Kirkland, you are out of order. You're out of order. You're out of order. The whole trial is out of order. They're out of order. That man, that sick, All right, crazy, depraved man, raped and beat that woman there, and he likes to do it again. He told me so. It's just a show. It's a show. Let's make a deal!
deal. Let's make a deal. Hey, Frank, you want to make a deal? I got an insane judge who likes to beat the shit out of women. What do you want to give me, Frank? Three weeks probation? Damn it. You, you son of a bitch, you. You're supposed to stand for something. You're supposed to protect people. But instead, you fucking murder them. You kill McCullough. You killed him. Hold it. Hold it. I just completed my opening statement. All right, there was a deleted scene uh, where in Judge Fleming's office with Arthur, uh, in which Fleming kind of explains his strict inter- interpretation of the law, which is keeping Jeff in prison due to Arthur's late presentation of the evidence that would clear Jeff. Yes, what is it? Mr. Kirkland wanted to remind you that he's still waiting. All right, send him in now. Close the door. Have a seat over there. like antiques well if they tell the right time I like them I hope your line of defense is more successful than your humor I hope so you don't like my humor you can get yourself another lawyer because I just like to sit around with my clients and we just joke Mr. Kirkland you're one of those young lawyers who wants to change the law to serve the needs of the individual. I don't believe that. I think that's a lot of crap, and I don't want it in my court. Crap? Well, it's that so-called crap you're talking about that's going to prove McCullough is innocent. Perhaps, but the fact remains that the evidence was not submitted within the allotted time, therefore it's invalid, therefore the defendant remains guilty even though he may be innocent. Wait a minute. The fact that a man is going to spend five years in jail for something he didn't do, that doesn't bother you. No. No, it doesn't bother me, because I'm bound by the statute. I'm following the law. It's insane. It's the law. It's insane. It's the law, and my job is to enforce it as it was written, as it has been written since the Magna Carta, and I am not going to change it. There's also another scene where Jay is starting to lose it as he's sharpening pencils, cleaning the toilet, and shows a new client his badminton trophy. There's also an extended scene at the Thanksgiving dinner, which has the guys playing basketball in the backyard. Jay is getting rough and fouls a few guys and then later punches a guy who says the ball isn't out of bounds. The last deleted scene is in prison as Arthur visits Jeff. Jeff is in a medical ward after being beaten badly. 
Arthur pleads with the prison doctor to get Jeff out of the general population to protect him. All right, some fun facts about the movie. The film was nominated for two Oscars, but did not win. Pacino was nominated for Best Lead Actor, and the film was nominated for Best Original Screenplay. So when Al Pacino was cast, he had been considering uh, the lead role for Kramer vs. Kramer, but he rejected it in order to do Injustice for All. Ironically, guess who Pacino lost to for Best Actor? That's right, Dustin Hoffman for Kramer vs. Kramer. So during filming, Pacino frequently ad-libbed and improvised. He said he liked to do this because he was slow learning lines as well as trying to be spontaneous. However, this sometimes could screw up other people's performances. And, and Pacino's mentor, Lee Strasberg, said, Al, learn your lines, you doling. <laughs> Pacino years later recognized that this was good advice. So to prepare for his role as a lawyer, Pacino interviewed attorneys, researched the legal profession, and attended court with legal eagles. Crazy enough, that final courtroom scene was filmed on the first take. That's what you hear. So Jeffrey Tambor had to wear a wig for several scenes because he shaved his head. So because scenes aren't shot in sequence, they had to go back and forth in time. And so therefore, he had to wear a wig. So when Jack Warden is seen sitting on the ledge of a law building four stories up, he really was. However, he was wearing a security cable harness under his clothes as a safety precaution in case he slipped. All right, this is a really interesting film. Again, if you're a fan of Pacino, it's Pacino in the 70s. You can't go wrong. And it's, it's an interesting film. It is kind of a dramedy. There are definitely light moments, and there are certainly heavy moments. And the conflict of a certain uh, things in Law and & Order and, and the justice system are still prevalent today. So I think it's, it's worth watching today. It still holds up very well, and I highly recommend it. All right, I will be back next week for yet another random movie from my DVD collection. Hey, this is Brian Davis, and you might know me from the Damn Good Movie Memories podcast. And now, get ready for the Bad Beat Show on ThatMetalStation.com from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. Eastern every Wednesday night. I'm going to play some kick-ass hard rock inspired by the blues, because after all, the foundation of all things rock and metal is, of course, the blues. So join me every Wednesday night for the Bad Beat. Because even when you lose, you still win. We are officially on Spotify now. So if you don't use iTunes, if you don't use the Podbean app, you can go to Spotify and get all of our past episodes. You can stream it on there. So if you're a Spotify user, you can go find Damn Good Movie Memories. <laughs> I can't even say my own podcast. Damn Good Movie Memories. Yes, I know what I'm talking about. I'm the host, right? Okay, so go to Spotify, look for Damn Good Movie Memories. You can stream all of that stuff. And yeah, so if you don't want to use iTunes, you don't want to use Podbean, you can use Spotify as well. All right, before we sign off, we do have t-shirts are available for sale. All you have to do is go to tpublic, that's T-E-E-P-U-B-L-I-C.com, and you can get your very own Damn Good Movie Memories t-shirt. You can get all sizes, any gender, you can get whatever you want just at the tip of your fingers. So just go to tpublic.com, look up Damn Good Movie Memories, and you can get your very own t-shirt. If you enjoy this podcast and are an iTunes user, please do the show a favor and head on over to the official iTunes page for Damn Good Movie Memories. Be sure to leave a rating and a review. This will allow the show to appear higher in the algorithm and spread the joy of this podcast to the masses. If you are not an iTunes user, you can still listen and subscribe on Podbean at damngoodmoviememories.podbean.com. 
Be sure to like us on Facebook under our Damn Good Movie Memories page. You can also listen to a limited number of episodes on YouTube. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode and be sure to tune in next week for an all new episode of Damn Good Movie Memories. I am Dr. Fuck. And I'm the actual alcoholic. And we are part of the Rock and Metal Combat Podcast. We are the Rock and Metal Combat Podcast. That's right. And the way you can check us out is we are on iTunes and also Podbeam. And we forgot a review recently. I got this review right here. It says right here, it says, Rock and Metal Combat Podcast is the greatest podcast in the world, and it's my number one podcast, signed by Science. Now, and then Science also says... Science! Science also said, my second favorite podcast is, it doesn't matter, the rest suck. Rock and Metal Combat Podcast on iTunes and Poppy. Check it out. Science! Are you ready for the hottest new podcast out there? Check out the Vieira Vault, featuring none other than Dr. Fuck Ralph Vieira. You will hear personal stories and personal songs from the vault. There ain't nothing else like it. The one, the only, the original Vieira Vault. On Podbean, Stitcher.com, and iTunes. Spreaker. God damn it. Hey, this is Stephen Michael from the Growing Up Rock Podcast. If you're like me and my co-host, Sonny Hollywood Pooney, you grew up loving hard rock and metal music. Check out our podcast where we talk to bands and artists that help create the soundtrack to our lives, along with playing some killer new and old deep tracks of kick-ass guitar-driven rock and roll. Find us wherever you find your podcast to listen to, That's the Growing Up Rock Podcast, G-R-O-W-I-N-U-P-R-O-C-K. And feel free to hit us up at Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, at Growing Up Rock. So sit back and crank it up.